Hello and good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Josh. I'm part of the ministry team here. And as uh, Gavin said, we've reached, I guess, the climax of this part of the story here in chapter four. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to tell you about a time I uh, went camping with a friend and we found a cave um, up near where we were and went so far into this cave that when we turned our torches off, it was completely pitch black. I don't know if you've ever been in a cave like that and you look at your hand or you try to look at your hand and you can't see it even though you know it's 30 centimetres in front of your face. I want you to think for a moment and just go with me here. This will take a bit of imagination. But just, just think for a moment, uh, what would happen if all of a sudden the sun was taken away? And it was like that cave, but it was like that cave everywhere on earth. Just think, don't, don't get into the physics too much, it's not really about that, but just think, if the, if the sun was gone, just think what it would be like. We'd only have artificial lights, we'd have to work out new ways to, uh, to um, make food and bring power. There'd be all sorts of consequences. It would be cold, so cold. The sun, something we take for granted, that rises every morning. Just imagine if all of a sudden it was gone. Now, in the passage this morning, I wanted to, to give you a sense of the scale of the, of the issue we find at the end of the passage, when the glory of the Lord departs. This whole passage is quite tragic. Israel uh, loses uh, a battle twice, thousands are killed, Eli and his two sons die. But the worst of it, the worst thing that happens is pointed out at the end by that poor woman who dies in childbirth. You can see it in verse 21. She names her son Ichabod, which means no glory, or perhaps where is the glory? You can imagine that's a name that you might get teased about at primary school. But she names him that because she says the glory has departed from Israel. And then in the next verse, uh, she says it again, because it's so important, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. In this series of, of tragic events, this is the most tragic. The ark has been captured. This isn't talking about uh, Noah's ark or some other ark. This is talking about the ark of the covenant, uh, which was really uh, a, a wooden box that had been decorated uh, and carried around on poles. But it had been a box that God had told his people to make when he rescued them from Egypt. And it was to represent his presence with them. The presence of this God who had miraculously rescued them. God in all his glory being with them. And so when this woman hears that that box has been captured, she says the glory has departed from Israel. This is a, a huge issue. It's a tragedy. But don't get the wrong idea. This is not a tragedy for the ark. It's not a tragedy for God. No, no, he's, he's pulling the strings here. In fact, we'll see in the next few chapters uh, that God can very much look after himself and his ark. Um, that's coming up next week. Now, this is a tragedy for Israel. It's a tragedy for people because God has left the building. See, if the Bible uh, is right about our world and God made everything if he keeps everything going at every moment if he is the source of everything good that's what the Bible says then 
God leaving, that is a massive deal. Think about how the world would change if, if the sun stopped shining. God leaving is worse than that. God made the sun. He keeps everything going. Of course, as the ark is taken from Israel here at the end of this story, he's not left the world completely, but he's left the one people that he chose especially to be with. And at this point in the story, you might wonder what's going to happen next. Apart from our own current existence here this morning, you might wonder at this point, is God going to walk away from his whole world? Is he going to walk away from his creation and start again? So that's the tragedy that we have this morning before us. And the question is, how did we get to this? Are we at risk of God leaving like this? How could we prevent it? I want to look at um, two uh, big mistakes that people make in relation to God and his glory this morning. Taking God too lightly, that'll be the first half of the passage, and then giving weight to ourselves rather than to God, that'll be in the second half of the passage. And uh, this morning, of course, we come to chapter 4. Partway through the story uh, we're looking at, uh, Eli uh, has, uh, is a priest and uh, leader of Israel, but things haven't been going well. That's what we've seen in previous weeks. His two sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, they're supposed to be priests and the next leaders of God's people, but they are financially and uh, sexually corrupt and Eli can't pull them into line. And so God has spoken this judgment on Eli's family, saying that they're going to be removed permanently from the priesthood, from leadership. And the sign of that is going to be both his sons dying on the same day. And uh, if you look in chapter 1, you can see uh, Samuel, who the book's uh, named for. Uh, he was uh, born miraculously. He's growing up. And he's begun hearing from God. So he's a ray of hope in this story. But as this chapter begins, uh, though his, uh, his word, it says, comes to all Israel, he's, he's really uh, absent from the rest of the action. Uh, so let's begin with those verses, uh, verses 1 to 11, as we look at this first mistake, taking God too lightly. It says, now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. We're not told why the battle starts, but they're defeated. And the elders of Israel ask, well, it's the right question after the defeat. They ask, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? See, they're right in seeing God's hand in what's happened. They're right that it's not just uh, the fact that the Philistines were stronger than them, that God is involved. But their answer to that question isn't so good. In fact, they don't really try to answer the question. They just take matters into their own hands. Uh, they take the God of the universe way too lightly. They say, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. So they bring up this ark, the symbol of God's presence, as if somehow automatically God's going to help them out. And in the next uh, paragraph, we really see the foolishness of their actions. Look how the ark is described in verse 4 um, as, as, they, uh, as they bring it up. It's described as the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. 
This is like the extended edition name of the ark plonked right here in verse 4. It's emphasising God's glory. He's the Lord Almighty. He's the King. He's enthroned between the, the cherubim on the ark. It was kind of visualised this ark as kind of a footstool um, at, the, at the base of God's kind of invisible throne. And he was kind of visualised as kind of being gloriously enthroned above the ark. And this is the description that we're being drawn to here. This is the, the one that they're trying to manipulate by kind of carrying him into battle. And then the issue is made bleedingly obvious when we see who's with the ark. It says there, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. I mean, chapter 2, we've learnt all about these guys. We're told that they're worthless men, that they did not know the Lord, that their sin was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They were stealing part of the, the uh, offering meant for God for themselves. And it was well known that these um, supposed priests of God had been sleeping with prostitutes as well. And they haven't repented. They are financially corrupt. They are sexually corrupt. And yet it's these two bozos who are accompanying the ark of the God of the entire universe. And so at that point, although both the Israelites kind of give up a cheer and they think this is going to help them and the Philistines are scared, they think this is going to be an issue for them as well. The battle goes on and the Israelites lose worse than before. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers and the ark of God was captured. See, the Israelites, they presumed on God's power. You could even say they attempted to manipulate his power to their own ends. Now, verse 1 suggests that they had access to the word of God through Samuel, but they didn't seem to be listening. They ignored the crazy hypocrisy of, of the scene of Hophni and Phinehas, these two corrupt priests next to the ark as it came up. They didn't cry out to God for mercy when they were in trouble, but they just presumed he'd bless their plans. It's interesting that the word uh, for, for glory in Hebrew, it's, it also means uh, heavy or, or weighty. Uh, when, you, uh, when you think of it, um, it, it means sort of reputation or splendor, but also heaviness. As if when you think of someone as, as kind of uh, highly, you kind of think of them as, as heavy, as having like a significance or an importance to them. And this ark, this was supposed to be the symbol of God's glory, of his, his weighty splendor. But they just thought they could kind of carry this light wooden box around and, and then just direct the power of the God of the universe. They didn't see him as glorious at, at all. And so the glory departed Israel. I think that's easy to do, easy for us to do too, to take God lightly to ignore his weight, his glory, and so end up engaging with him on just a superficial level, or, or worse, trying to kind of manipulate him as if we could do that. Perhaps it's there if, if you find your practice of prayer is just shooting up a request when times are tough, rather than speaking to your father regularly. Or when you, you find the majority of the things you pray about are about what you need rather than 
praising and adoring the God who is glorious. Perhaps it's there when uh, we tend to make our own plans and then almost as an afterthought, pray that God would bless what we've already decided to do. Perhaps you've even seen it this morning in perhaps when your, your mind was wandering as we sang earlier, thinking about your concerns or plans for the week rather than the God we're worshipping. So the issue is, is not having a heavy picture of God, of taking him too lightly. But this is the, the God Almighty we're talking about. This is the one who runs everything, who made everything, who holds everything together. The God who is enthroned, the king of the universe. And so this is the, the first mistake that results in this glory departing, taking him too lightly. Look with me now at the second half of the passage, starting there in verse 12. Uh, a man runs from the battle line and there's old Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road and watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. The messenger sort of runs past Eli. We later find that Eli's blind, so he probably didn't see the messenger passing but he runs past Eli and gives the news to the town uh, and then returns to give the news to Eli and painfully slowly he kind of gives it in bits he tells of the defeat the heavy losses and also he says your sons Hophni and Phinehas are dead and then the climax of this messenger's news the ark of God has been captured God has left the building and when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. What an unceremonious, gruesome end for Eli after a failed 40 years of leadership. Here at the end of his, I guess, his leadership, uh, we see a resounding defeat for Israel and we see the ark being captured by the enemy. Here the judgment that has been pronounced on Eli's family, it, it really comes to pass. So in chapter 2, we heard a, a prophet give a message to Eli. He said that the punishment was coming on Eli's house, his family, and that his sons would die on the same day. And then last week, we heard uh, when God called Samuel, he gave him the same terrible message again. So here Samuel's words have not fallen to the ground. This right here is not just like uh, any family tragedy because Eli is in a unique circumstance here in the Bible story. He's had a, a specific word from the Lord about his sons and his family. And now his two sons have died as predicted and Eli dies too. And then, tragedy on tragedy, his daughter-in-law also dies as she gives birth to Ichabod. What went wrong for Eli and his sons? Well, if Israel's elders took God a little too lightly, then Eli and his sons in particular gave too much weight to themselves. Let me take you back to that part in chapter 2 when this Man of God delivers the devastating message of God to Eli. Listen to what he says to Eli. He says, why do you honour your sons more than me? The word honour there is the same as that word for glory. Why do you glory 
your sons more than you give glory to me. Or in the next verse, God says, those who honour me, I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. It's clear that they didn't think of God as glorious at all. But more than that, they, they gloried in themselves. For the sons, it was their, their self-indulgent lifestyle at the expense of others, their financial corruption, their sexual corruption, because they just wanted more and more and more for them. For Eli, perhaps it's more subtle. He failed to pull his sons into line and he cared more about their opinion and perhaps more about how he could benefit from their misdeeds than he cared about the glory of God. Uh, Listen carefully to this verse from chapter 2, this whole verse, the one I started to read before. This is verse 29 from chapter 2. It says, Why do you honour your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel. Hear that? Their sin is they fatten themselves up with these bits of food that, that don't belong to them. They're feeding their own glory. And now, at this tragic climax, Eli breaks his neck as he falls because he's old. And did you catch it? Heavy. Heavy. The same word for glory or honour. Eli and his sons have fattened themselves up, literally, on these choice pieces of meat that were meant for the Lord. And now the heaviness that Eli's taken for himself, it kills him. What a tragedy. How easy it is to to give weight to ourselves, to glory in ourselves in a way that we simply can't sustain. It's an issue not just because it robs God of the glory that he deserves, but also because it it means we put on ourselves honour and glory that, that we can never hold. It'll destroy us. Those bits of meat, they were meant for God to honour him. But Hophni and Phinehas, they took them for themselves. They wanted to honour their appetite for more and more and more. I imagine uh, there's ways in which this happens for us today as well. Perhaps amongst us today, there are those who are not entirely above board uh, financially, eking out more for themselves at the expense of someone else. But perhaps it's not so literal as with Hophni and Phinehas. Perhaps it's uh, to feast on, on praise for something that you're talented in or that you've achieved as if you kind of made yourself. Or perhaps it's that you want to fit in with a certain group so you don't mention God or church or uh, anything along those lines around certain friends. You want to build honour for yourself rather than be dishonoured in, in someone else's eyes. Perhaps it's rarely even uh, observable on the surface. Uh, And I find myself doing this one where you you feed yourself with kind of judgmental uh, and critical talk about others as you look at them, as you boost your own kind of prideful internal picture of yourself and think that you're the one who kind of works out who's good and bad, right and wrong, rather than God. It's feeding yourself silly. As it did Eli, it will destroy us. Giving too much weight to ourselves, that's the second reason that the glory departs Israel. So as we finish, let's return again to that headline tragedy. The glory going, 
God has, has left the building, the one who sustains everything, provides everything good. Now, I'm sure as, as we just uh, spoke then, uh, you can see that, that like me, we too are guilty of both taking God too lightly and giving too much weight to ourselves. So shouldn't God leave us too? Shouldn't the glory go from us? He should leave. He should completely leave. He should start his whole creation again. He should leave and stay gone if we're talking about what we deserve. But incredibly, God comes near. He doesn't abandon his people, his world. You can see hints of it in this chapter. There's a hint, in fact, in the fact that God comes good on his word to judge Hophni and Phinehas because they're really bad dudes and to remove Eli's house from leadership over Israel. This is a good thing for his people. We see a hint of it in the fact that Samuel waits on the sidelines with so much promise. We'll see in the next weeks that the ark, it's actually not gone for good, that it returns of God's own accord. And we see a hint uh, in the child, Ichabod, no glory, because he reminds us of another child with a special name, uh, the one that was called Emmanuel, God with us. Let me read to you just from John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. Did you get that? Jesus is the glorious one. The incredible news that we're about to celebrate at Christmas is that though we've done our darndest to chase God off, to take his honour for ourselves, to steal his glory, he comes near in all our humanness and our mess. Jesus showed us how to live a life, giving glory to the Father. He laid aside all glory of his own as he died on the cross to pay for our glory-stealing antics. And he rose again, even more glorious, brighter than the sun. There's nothing more tragic than God's departure. That is what we deserve. But God has come near. So the question is, wherever you're at with God this morning, do you see the glory of God? Do you see the glory of Jesus? Do you honour him? Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, so much for this story. Thank you that you are glorious and good. Thank you that uh, though you should, you don't leave us. Uh, you come near in Jesus. Help us to marvel at your glory more and more. Help us to honour you in our hearts. Amen.